welcome to Vice and Easy, your podcast for all things Miami Vice, with your host, Marina. Hello and welcome to Vice and Easy, Season 1, Episode 19 of Miami Vice, The Home Invaders. This one is a fun one. I know the last two episodes have been like a little low energy, um, which is harder, you know, with the content I'm given. So I'm excited to kind of get back to form. And then after this, we only have a couple more episodes before the end of season one. So let's get down to it. All right. For season one, episode 19, The Home Evaders, the synopsis is as follows. The squad is assigned to assist robbery with a string of brutal home invasions. Castillo is concerned the officer in charge, who is Crockett's mentor, is mishandling the investigation and the two clash, leaving Crockett torn between loyalty and a resolved case. And so we open the episode on a beautiful family in a very beautiful kind of, not really art deco house, I don't want to say that, but kind of like a nouveau riche 80s house. You have a big conversation pit with a big pink couch and a big glass table with magazines. Remember magazines, guys? I used to walk to the International Magazine Store in Toronto. It was about maybe three miles from my house all the time and just pour over magazines, international magazines. I used to spend like $20 Canadian, but $20 on just one issue of LUK when I was growing up. That's how, and like, it's just so far removed from where we are now. So I digress. Old people complaining. Let's say that for next time. So it's a beautiful house. There's a little boy playing on a computer and I was like, how much would a personal computer have cost to just put it in the child's room? Not in you know, when we had computer rooms back in the day. $4,332 is the estimate of what that home computer would cost in today's dollars, according accounting for inflation. So they got money. Unfortunately, this is what makes them a target. So they get a knock on the door late at night for a flower delivery. We can hear some voices, some youths talking in the background. They open the door. They come in guns blazing pantyhose over their faces, guns cocked, loaded. They pin the woman down, the mother. They try to go after the nanny. They go after the father and ask who else is in the house. The father says nobody. He's trying to protect his kids. The two kids that we opened up that scene on. They have the dad. They have the mom with her face pressed against the floor. Really rough, really violent, really unpleasant. And the scene ends panning out to the two kids holding each other. And then we get to the intro. Then, fortunately, we're hearing about what happened the night before because everybody has been woken up and ordered into the precinct at three in the morning. Sonny looks like a hot mess. I don't know what he was doing at three in the morning. It looks like he was really sleeping. So this kind of party animal reputation that he gets is pretty unfounded if he was dead asleep at three in the morning because if he was out drinking doing drugs partying he would have been like just closing up his tab and just walking so i know they're always trying to play into like the bad boy vibe but i'm like i don't think he's that like a bunch of a party animal i think he just like doesn't have a lot of nutrients he just smokes a lot and drinks whiskey he doesn't really eat a lot of greens or vegetables in general And so as they're chit-chatting, kind of, you know, groaning and frustrated to be at work at three in the morning, called in, except for Gina. Gina looks great. Gina looks like a million bucks. I think she was already working the night shift because she's dressed in uniform, makeup perfectly on. She's not falling asleep like the rest of them. But there's someone missing. Three in the morning. Maybe we should call Tubbs. 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. He must feel left out. Tucked away in some quiet corner in Manhattan, sipping champagne with Valerie. You can't knock a guy for knowing when to take a leave of absence. This is true. People, if you have paid vacation days, please use them. Signed, the rest of the world. Uh, So talking a little bit more, Castillo finally comes in. Crockett inquires a little bit more about the MO, or as it's known in its full legal term, modus operandi. What's the MO? It varies. But the homes have been occupied. Been brutalizing the families. Last night, they put a woman in the hospital. Electrical burns. Lieutenant Malone will be holding a briefing at 6 a.m. I understand you know him. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I came up under him. And I must say, this continues all through the entire episode. I don't know if Don Johnson and Edward James almost were just smoking Marlboro Red after unfiltered Marlboro Red this entire episode because they just sound... Like, if this were in the 80s, this episode sounds like it would be sponsored by Joe Camel. Government regulations prohibit us from advertising on TV. (sighs) Ah, that sweet Carolina smoke. But let's get on to something brighter. Crockett in beautiful pastels. He has light blue, he has yellow, and he has coral. And he looks like a million bucks as he walks into robbery. All the other guys in robbery are dressed so drab. They kind of all poke fun at each other. Crockett just calls out this other guy for being fat. Which, again, this was the 80s. This was a very different time. <laughs> try, uh, try getting together with your family after putting on 10 pounds back in the day. It's very different than it is now. No, None of this body positivity. And as they go into the briefing at Robbery, Crockett and Castillo are getting the information from Robbery. They're not doing it themselves. They're the ones getting this case info. They're getting a little bit of info in this pamphlet. You know, they're armed with weapons, stuff they already know. Automatic guns, even a cattle prod. They're stealing cars, repainting them. We'll see this later in the episode. They have a beautiful Camaro. They might be out of towners, but... Castillo senses something's amiss, and he knows what's going on, but does robbery? Have you been calling your local burglars when the scores are reported? But what? Well, if they're home in bed, then uh, they couldn't have robbed the house. Usually, Martin, we don't tuck in our local suspects. Seems to me that's the kind of information that a robbery unit should have. There's next to nothing in this, not even an MO sheet. It's my understanding the method is everything to these home invaders. They work on a clock. Yet there's uh, not a word in this pamphlet as to how long they're in the house. Castillo means business. He wants to know everything there is to know about these cases. And the fact that they had a call in vice means that there's something amiss at robbery. Speaking of these home invaders, we pan to another scene with some very interesting music that reminds me of Melrose Place. Basically, one of the robbers taking pictures, casing the joint of this beautiful old school Miami mansion. I took a picture of the windows because they're... I wish I knew how to describe this better. I'm sorry. I thought I was cultured. I guess I'm not. Beautiful metal pan, and it has like a metal metal going through. Please look at the, the gallery. Vice and Easy podcast gallery. Imgur. Check it through my link tree. It's gorgeous. And then there's even a beautiful girl in a bikini 
no wrist guards, no knee pads, no helmet in roller skates. So this looks like a fun house and there's a reason why they're casing this joint. Please listen to this music. This music I know was very commonplace in TV at that time because you didn't have to pay that many rights. This is all I believe a Jan Hammer original, but oh man, it gives me it gives me a funny feeling in a weird way. But the actual house they're casing out, I looked at the intersection. I totally forgot what it was. I'm sorry. But it is on the Sunset Islands in Miami. So when you cross over from Miami to Miami Beach and you take that fun bridge and you can, you know, kind of see Palm Island, you can't actually get to those. You can't actually access those islands unless you live there. They're all gated. Um, but maybe this one is open. I only tried to go to Palm or Star Island. This was like 10 years ago with a girlfriend, and obviously we could not get in. <laughs> really? Who would have thought tourists would want to see the wealthiest enclave of Miami, and it's not open to the public? So now they're going to talk a little bit about the risks of doing this case and robbing this house, and they do bring up some good points. And I recognize some faces why that's Isai Morales from NYPD Blue, and that's Luther from The Warriors. So this is a fun one. We got some fun guest stars. I ain't going back, man. 50 G's my end or no 50 G's. We're passing. Like Nikki says, this town's loaded with marks. And it was because they did a case with the joint, they were able to see that like security is hardwired, so they probably have panic buttons in every room in the house. There's security detail. There's They're pretty far away from the highway proper itself, so if they do need to make a quick getaway, it's gonna be a lot harder through residential streets. So there's a lot of things working against them. And you can see kind of the friction between David Patrick Kelly from The Warriors and Isai Morales. Like they're both very hot-headed and they're both very stubborn in their opinions and it might not work for them. Let's see. And now we are going back with Crockett and Castillo to the house to speak with the wife from the home invasion that we saw before the intro. Really bad information is that they messed up one of the kids and that one of the kids might never be able to use their wrist or hand again, which is pretty awful. Like, this isn't just theft. This is armed robbery and this hurts people and this is scary and this is super traumatic. And those kids are definitely going to have a lot of trauma to work through. And Crockett and Castillo ask questions. They're trying to get any piece of information that they can. They're trying to see if maybe they yelled at one each other's names when they were making the case. Were they, you know, did they, like, what were they asking her? What were they telling her? Basically, and she just kind of reiterates, they just asked me if anyone else was in the house. She couldn't really hear the rest of the conversation because the kids were screaming and stuff was breaking. She got burned with a cigarette by one of the guys. Castillo hands her a questionnaire form just about her daily routine. You know, does she get food delivered? Where does she get her hair done? Who's their landscaper? Does she belong to any social clubs? Does she work at a particular gym? Things to know so they can kind of touch base with anything familiar in any other cases. It's a little crappy to put on someone who's just been through that, but I don't see the husband around. So unfortunately, maybe the husband got seriously hurt and she's the only one that can currently take care of the kids. I don't know. 
And Castillo is very curt in the scene. He doesn't really offer a lot of support, whereas Crockett is being the good, sweet cop, comforting her, rubbing her shoulders as she's crying. And she pleads with them to please catch the guys who did this so it doesn't happen to anybody else. And then we have some fun Miami Vice B-roll of Crockett talking to quote-unquote locals, trying to see what's going on. All the, you know, petty thieves he knows. This is not petty theft. This is armed assault and robbery. And then I made a gif of it, the Ferrari in like kind of a slow scene, kind of turning a bend that is not Don Johnson driving it. Similar face, but different nose and different profile. Honestly, I went through this quite a few times, not him. So I'm feeling very confident about this. And then speaking of cigarettes, it is 1985. So Crockett smokes a lot. My new category, which I'll introduce at the end, is my favorite place where Crockett was smoking during this episode. Here he is smoking at the hotel lobby. I have starred that in my notes. <laughs> and then Crockett and Castillo go to a jewelry store to visit an old quote unquote friend. They actually never say the word friend. I'm just putting it in there. And Benny, who is not at all happy to see them in this next clip. You ain't squared nothing. Oh, you don't remember? Well, I do. So take your shoes for a walk and take your friend with you and get out. I'm Lieutenant Castillo. I don't care if you're the chief of police. I run a legitimate business here. And if you got something on me, fine. Well, then arrest me. But if you don't, get out. Let me tell you about your business. There's a crew in the city hurting family and children. They're scoring exactly the kind of merchandise you move. If I find out that you even breathe the same air as these people. I'm shaking. Don't point. So that slap you heard was actually a real slap. So Benny's holding his hand out to show that he's not shaking. He's not nervous. Crockett slaps it down. Obviously, it says, don't point. I made a gif of it. Then Crockett gets even ballsier, wink, wink, in this next scene. Get rid of these guys. Come on. Let's go. Up in the air, Angel. <laughs> Primitive but effective. Love that. Obviously, he takes him, he grabs him by you know what, and tosses him in the closet. Great ending to their visit to Benny's jewelry shop. Also, this scene has inspired another new category. My favorite piece of artwork. I don't mean that it has to be beautiful or classic. It can be the tackiest thing you could ever find in the 80s. But so I have two new categories for you today. I was going to wait till the end, but then as I'm recapping this, I just can't, can't resist. And then speaking of not being able to resist things, guess where Crockett is? Surprise, surprise. He's at a bar. Castillo meets him there while Gina and Trudy are kind of off at the other end of the bar. Castillo tells Gina and Trudy that he wants to know if any girls have been roughed up by their tricks or their johns recently. Because apparently that's what was happening at the same time as the Chicago robberies, is that young prostitutes would show up injured and abused by one particular trick, and they believe that it's linked. Then Castillo goes over to talk to Crockett. They're both drinking out of styrofoam cups, which it's not even an environmental thing because nobody cared about the environment except for Captain Planet in the 80s. But at a bar, wouldn't you have coffee? If you served coffee, wouldn't you put it in mugs? I couldn't imagine just serving my customers a styrofoam cup. And I know with COVID, we a lot of bars did that where just everything was disposable. But interesting. I don't know. Just not a great look, you know? I don't think it's a little bit homier to give someone a mug. And then, unfortunately, we are witness to another home invasion. This one really resonated with me. I just thought it was really icky. Basically, it's an elderly couple sleeping. They're standing at their end of the bed 
with hockey masks on, shining a flashlight in their eyes to wake them up. They wake up the husband and the wife wakes up screaming. She just says, give them anything they want. He, They want to know where the money is, where the jewels are. Isai Morales is acting as the getaway driver in this moment, so he's not actually on the score. Security rolls up. He pretends he's asleep. However, security is not having it. Speaking of flashlights in the eyes, shines the flashlight in his eyes, shoots security with a silencer. And as we cut to the next day when Vice is on the scene, they get a little bit more information. Basically five minutes from start to finish. The phone was pulled off the hook so they couldn't call for help. And the 75-year-old man that they woke up tried to fight them to protect his home and to protect his wife. He's injured, but he survived. And Castillo is not at all happy about the fact they didn't seal off the crime scene. Malone's reasoning is that they're already gone. And then for Castillo, he wants them to get as much evidence as they can. So once again, Malone and Castillo butt heads. Then Crockett goes out to Malone to try to ease and comfort him. Now wait a minute. Castillo may not have the warmest disposition in the world, but he's one hell of an investigator. There's two ways you beat these guys. Informants or wiretaps. End of story. I gotta tell you, John, as a friend, he's got a legitimate beef. Your crime reports are paper thin, pal. Forensics has got their head where they don't see daylight. This isn't the John Malone I used to know. You can definitely still feel the effects of the Where's the Beef commercial craze of 1984 because this is the second time they've mentioned quote-unquote beef. And I get that, you know, you have to keep it family-friendly because you're on primetime TV, so maybe you can't say the words that you'd like to use. But yeah, I thought that was interesting. I was like, oh, that's the second time in like 10 minutes I've heard them talking about that. Now we get a little bit more information. Castillo's going to bring Crockett to a hotel. One of the girls got roughed up. Gina and Trudy want her to talk to Crockett. She is a feisty one. Let's welcome back hot nurse Jen from Saved by the Bell, Nancy Vallon. Just tell us what happened when you got beat up. Hey, slow down, stud. I'm getting to that. Talk about a fast trick. Honey, I ain't your trick. Oh, another tough guy. You want to beat me up too? You can talk to us here or talk to us downtown. I really do enjoy that baby voice, salty, taunting attitude from women. I don't know. I just really like it. (laughs) And as cute as Nancy Valen is, her character Lana is quite hard to get through, as you'll hear in this next clip. What did he look like? Oh, he was real cute. He looked like he had a lot of money, too. If I had a guess, I'd say he was a Gemini. Naturally, Crockett just gives up at this point, and Gina and Trudy will get the description from her. And they're going to get the lab to go to the hotel and try to find a specimen, anything they can find, to connect this guy to the robber. And then Castillo comes back to the office. Of course, Sonny is smoking there. I've just been noting everywhere that Sonny smokes. This is kind of a very fun game. They get a little bit more information. So the handcuffs that they use are actually Japanese brand based out of Chicago. And once again, when they're talking, they didn't run a list of realtors. So Castillo gets another kind of like MO from them of who's in the house. They always want to know who's in the house, who they're dealing with. They always go when they know they'll be home. 
so they're not trying to just smash and grab. They are there to terrorize these families. And they start to pour over the Miami questionnaires. They try to find any similarities. They're asking about landscapers. They're asking about if they get groceries delivered, if they get pizza delivered. Anything they can to connect these cases with each other. Then get a little bit closer to what we're looking for. Did she have groceries delivered? No, pizza once in a while. Where does she have her hair done? Hair Emporium. Go to Golden. I have Golden. Here. Uh, pizza, groceries, landscape. Landscape. Sunset landscape. Go to Christensen. What do you want? Air. Air Emporium. All right, so they finally have a connection. They finally have somewhere where they can work with where all the cases are linked. So we go to this salon, and this salon is very 1985. I love it. Pink decor, wild haircuts, the glamorous life by Sheila E. playing in the background. So Gina is going undercover, just kind of as a housewife who wants to change her look. She has a beautiful dress on. She has a very big diamond ring, a Mercedes kind of a fancy clutch. So she's there to kind of bait these guys and see, you know, is it the employees? Is it other customers? She's trying to get her intel. She's eyeballing everybody. And Isa Morales is working as the valet attendant. When she gets out of the salon with a new updo that actually I don't think does her any justice. Gina is so beautiful. She does not need. She kind of has like a little pompadour on the top of her head. And I get it was 1985. But this woman needs nothing. She could wear a paper sack, look like a million dollars. So Issa Morales notices her in this next clip. Your husband's going to get a kick out of his lady. When in between board meetings... And with that, another valet comes, drops off the Mercedes. She gets in, pauses for a moment, kind of looks back. All the while, Isa Morales pulls out a tiny little notebook that he's scribbling on. He's the one. We as the audience know it, and I think Gina also has a feeling. Because when she gets back to the station, she has a feeling it's him. You know, because they did, Trudy did a background checks on every single other employee working at Hair Emporium. Everyone else is clean. But valet is usually provided by an outside contractor. Outside contractors and those kind of jobs, similar to restaurant and catering jobs, you're not really doing background checks on people. You're just kind of, hey, you want to work? Here's some cash. Let's go. Tips. So they're not really doing a lot of background or intel. And you can get a job like that with a fake name if they're paying you under the table. And so while we are back at the precinct, Nancy Valen, Alana's back with her friend. Being very Valley Girl-esque, even though she says that she grew up in Detroit, she's going through this picture book of criminals and she's trying to find, again, the guy that beat her up. But she's just basically, every time, just like, I know that guy. I know him. I know him. And like, kind of like little fun facts about them. And you can see Zito and Switeker at their wits end. They're like, please just pick the person who beat you up most recently. And while we're at the precinct, Gina, that's where Gina and Trudy kind of talk about the weird feeling about the valet guy. Also, there is something called Cops, Kids, and Dolphins that I would like 
love to know more about. I don't know if it's like a program to help children or if it's like take your kids to work day with dolphins. I'd like to learn a little bit more about that. So I will let you know if I get any more intel on that. But I took a picture of it and pointed to that because I was like, wait, what is that? And so while they're at the precinct talking to Castillo about their feeling, they're going to take the girls to the parking lot to do some recon, to do some surveillance and see if they can ID the valet they have a weird feeling about as the guy that beat up Lana. It's actually a very cute scene. They're kind of hanging out in the car and they give Lana this little pair of binoculars to see. And she doesn't finger him in a classic sense. She basically says, like, you're not going to hurt him, are you? Basically giving away that that's him. So now they know. They got the guy. They got the location. Let's see if we can actually stop the next robbery from happening. And as the gentlemen of Vice are surveilling Isai Morales, he gets this beautiful blue Corvette that he's valeting, parks it, goes into the glove compartment, gets the registration card, then has like a key copier with him. I took a picture of it. Um, like he is means business. Um, I personally don't like to valet my car because before I had a 13 year old Mustang, so I didn't really feel like it was appropriate to valet. And then now with the car I have now, it's just very small and dirty and then kind of COVID happens. So I just don't really valet much. I don't like to valet and I don't really go to places that valet. It is funny. One of my girlfriends had a manual car for like five years Maybe only once or twice when she valeted it, she would not have to go retrieve it herself because the valets could not park the car. And I was like, do you get your money back in that situation? Because like, what's the point? <laughs> but yeah, happened all the time. So now that her car is automatic, she's like, I don't mind valeting anymore because she knows that she's not going to have to make that like walk in heels at 1.30 in the morning to drive her own car up like this very narrow parking lot ramp. <laughs> so yeah. As a valet, I think you should know how to drive manual and automatic. There are manual cars out there, and especially in Europe. So just thought that was a little funny tidbit. The majority of people I know in America do have their cars registered to someone else's address, whether it be a friend, whether it be a family member, usually to avoid high insurance rates because California, especially Southern California, city of Los Angeles, I moved and doubled my car insurance. I did have a new car, but my new car, it was like 90 bucks a month and then it went to 130 and now it's at 160 and there's nothing I can do because I don't have any family members here who I can register my car to because I don't want to get booked for insurance fraud. So I just kind of have to suck it up. But if you can, please register your car somewhere else just in cases like this. So nobody really knows where you live. Don't give them your keys. Just give them the fob for your car. You don't actually need to give them their whole set of keys because you don't want them to copy your house keys. Just be very careful. Be very careful in general. Like, don't let people know more than they need to. And then I got some eye candy in here. I made a little gif of Isai Morales taking off his white valet shirt and then putting on a black button shirt. Don't know what that was for. Just maybe just, you know, clocking out. Maybe to be a burglar. He needs like a little beanie and some sneakers to be a little cat burglar. Who knows? And then, so speaking of that blue Corvette, because they already saw Issa Morales get all this intel on the blue Corvette, they assume that this blue Corvette is going to be the next target. So they follow the blue Corvette, who first of all passes a guy in what looks like World War I memorabilia uniform. Like he has a hat with a little point at the top, like a little metal point. And I took a picture because I was like, what uniform is this? Is this a traffic cop? 
Is it like a private hotel, private security? Because it is wild. And he must be incredibly hot in Miami to be working in that, especially with a helmet. So if anybody knows where that outfit, where that uniform comes from, please let me know. So they follow this blue Corvette. This blue Corvette is not having it. This person is wilding. They're speeding up, trying to, you know, get rid of the Ferrari because basically they pull over. They say, hey, Miami Vice, we'd like to talk to you books it she books it i love this woman in like bejeweled white glasses elderly woman very feisty they finally kind of cut her off not really a pit maneuver but basically where they kind of park in front of her and she can't really do anything cut her off she starts screaming (laughs) she is a feisty one this is what she thinks is going on Obviously, that is not the case, but I love that's like the first thing she jumps to. She does mention the ex-husband later on in the episode, and you'll kind of see why he might want to have her murdered. But <laughs> just thought that was really funny. And so basically, Castillo and Crockett want to work with her. They tell that there's possibly a robbery going to happen at her house. So they want to be there at the house when the robbers do come, be armed, be prepared, have backup, have surveillance, so that this doesn't happen again, and that this is the last one. So... Zito and Switek get a good eye and tell them they're both doing undercover, one as a tow truck driver, the other as a broken down cab who needs his battery charge, which I think is funny. They, re- they really have inventive ways to be undercover, whereas I thought just most people just sit in your car and you kind of like recline back. I always look into car windows to see if someone's there. I guess that's also living in Los Angeles. A lot of people do live in their cars and especially in my old neighborhood. I wanted to make sure I wouldn't walk too close to a car and like scare somebody, get attacked at three in the morning or, you know, find someone and the whole neighborhood will wake up to screaming just because I accidentally like brushed into a car. So I was always very vigilant about that. While they're tailing them, they're tailing a beautiful restored black Camaro with like a little with like a nice red and gold striped detail on the side and a Lincoln. They keep kind of trying to get to them. They're kind of losing it a little bit. They make a turn, <clears throat> which is in fact the intersection, which the hotel or motel, I should say, the motel from Golden Triangle Part 1. I took a picture of it too. It's the same sign, same lights. So the guy, the other guy in robbery jumps out and is going to try to like tell them on foot, try to hide, see what they're doing and radio in when he gets more information. He sees them switch cars. They get out of the Lincoln and they get into just kind of like an unmarked mail van. And I say mail van because it has no doors, so you can just easily make deliveries, jump out, jump in and out, and try to follow them again in traffic. Unfortunately, though, now that they switched over, it's a lot harder to follow them. They end up losing the tail that they had. Gina calls Crockett, because Crockett and Castillo looking at their watches, and they know that they should have been here already. So Gina calls Crockett to tell them that the tail has been lost. He asks for backup to cover the garage because now they don't have the same time estimate that they did before. It's a gorgeous house. Beautiful house. But no burglars. So something is off. Castillo kind of hypothesizes that maybe they saw something they didn't like. They call back the precinct again. They talk with Mrs. Goldman, the woman whose house they're in. And he asks simple questions, you know, like what light you usually leave on because maybe if a different ha- light is left on from what they've seen from casing the joint they might have been spooked and ran off so she kind of just gives him a little bit of information and then he's asking her where she parks her car 
she replies, what car? He's like, lady, your car, the blue Corvette. Oh, that's not my car. That's my daughter's car. Oh, man, they're after the daughter. So Crockett and Steele get the address, race over there to try to stop this robbery. Unfortunately, it's a little too late. By the time they get there, the guys already have the wife with her mouth taped over with a gun holding the husband. And they're still really rough, nasty, and violent, as you can hear in this next clip. Look at her. Close your eyes and she's dead, man. Don't blink. You know what he's going to do to her if you lie to us, man? Those jewels better be where you sit, man. I'll be up there, man! And wait, what accent is that supposed to be? New York? Well, luckily, Crockett and Castillo are kind of talking like, do we go now? Do we wait? Do they wait for backup? Castillo not waiting around at all, takes this giant metal white bench from outside, throws it in the window to divert the attention of the burglars from the people to him. Crockett's already inside the house. They're able to fire back and shoot two of the home invaders. There's one more upstairs who hears the gunshots going off and he doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't know if they killed the hostages or if they've been killed themselves. Runs down the stairs, fires, Castillo bends down, points his revolver, and this incredibly focused look on his face shoots the kid. It's S.I. Morales as they pull off the hockey mask and reveal that cute little baby face. So handsome. Well, handsome and dead. So the episode's not over yet. We are kind of reconvening. We're having a little post-chat where Mrs. Goldman and the rest of the quote-unquote Hunks. She did not use that word either. I just like adding indiscriminate quotes at my, at my pleasure. So basically, she's having lunch with Crockett, Zito, and Switek. But she says, hey, not to be greedy, but I thought two other handsome men were joining us. Crockett goes to make a call, a, well, goes to make a call and asks for a quarter. Like, just got those flipped up. Quarter also seems very expensive for a phone call because didn't he ask Eddie in the pilot for a dime? You're saying in one year... The price of making a telephone call at a payphone in Miami went up over double. Zwitek makes some jokes, some joke that now Crockett owes him 20 bucks. So, ha 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 ha. But the best joke actually is coming from Mrs. Goldman herself. <laughs> I haven't had this much fun since I watched my ex-husband file for chapter 13. <laughs> And when she's mentioning Chapter 13, she's referring to personal bankruptcy, whereas Chapter 11 is a business bankruptcy. Um, I don't know if bankruptcy is well known or also an established thing outside of U.S. and Canada. So if you know, please let me know. It's very interesting. It's also bankruptcy law is wild because I've heard of people declaring bankruptcy and being able to finance a car, having a great credit score. Someone told me that they just got so fed up with credit scores because they were working their butt off, paying everything on time, reducing all their spending, but like maintaining some balance on their credit cards. And their friend who had declared bankruptcy had the same credit score they did. <laughs> so yeah, I'd be mad too. I'd be mad too. If they got all of their debts absolved and they have a great credit score, what? what's the consequence? What are you learning? What are you learning from this thing? And so as they're kind of laughing at the table, Crockett sees Castillo and Malone. They're late. Why are they late? Well, turns out Malone went to the precinct. He had some news that he wants to share with Crockett. And turns out that he's retiring. He gets Crockett a fishing reel. 
not the rod, but just like the reel where you put the twine. And so they can go fishing together. And Malone says something very wise in this next clip that I kind of want to impart to all of you. Sonny, you let me show you when it was time to take your gun out of your holster. Now, let me show you when it's time to put it on the shelf. I love that because I still to this day have regret from staying in either jobs or relationships too long. And I'm kind of embarrassed. Not that I shouldn't be because the day you quit something or the day you break up with something that's not serving you, you have more time to find something that does. But yeah, you, I hate when you stay at a job a little too long and like you're not getting along with people and you don't enjoy being there. And it's only a couple jobs where I've just never gone back. And usually because I work at bars, like I always go back and visit or I still have a friend that's working there. Only like a very few instances where I've been like, never again. I don't even want to go near it. <laughs> and you shouldn't get to that place. You shouldn't get to that place of negativity. You should be able to leave on good terms. So before I leave you all with good terms, let's get to some categories. First, let's start with the new one. Speaking of. Ah, that sweet Carolina smoke. I personally wrote down every place where I witnessed Crockett smoking in this episode. Office. The bar, naturally. Hotel lobby. Hotel room. Restaurant. His briefing. And robbery, which I laughed at because can you imagine just like kind of going in, subbing in another place of the job and just being able to smoke <laughs> while they're doing roll call? Yeah. 1985. Very different time. And now I need to know what to name this category. I either want to name it my favorite piece of decor, art of the week, piece of the week. So I'll kind of throw that out in the world. Favorite decor, best decor. Ah, best decor. I like that. So best decor really want to go with the hair salon, but at the end, I have to go with that flamingo painting at Barry's Jewelry Shop. Just so Miami, not too tacky, kind of cute. The colors will really work in every house, so I think it belongs in a legitimate business, such as a jewelry store. Ooh, fashion. This was a very fun episode because we do have people going undercover, dressing up. We have beautiful, cute girls working the street in very 80s appropriate outfits best dressed i think i'm going to give it to crockett in his three different pastels making them all work i also really like china's pink and black dress as she's leaving the salon really suits her the cut suits her super slim body perfectly i love mrs goldman's bejeweled glasses and then i also love lana's dress with the pink earrings when she's at the precinct trying to pick out the picture of the guy when Zeno and Switek are kind of babysitting her and when they take her into the car to do surveillance. I just love that outfit on her. The kind of like the cut shoulder, 80s print, the big pink earrings. Her girl, Sasa, Sasha, is wearing elephant earrings, which I tried to take a picture of. So just a very 80s look that you can't really deny or replicate in this episode. Uh, let's get to best song. Obviously, without a doubt, it's going to be The Glamorous Life by Sheila E. If you don't know, Sheila E. was actually a drummer in her own right and was a drummer for Prince before breaking out on her own. A very cool story there. Very cool lady. And you still got like a little Prince factor in there. The other song used in this episode was at the bar called Destination Unknown by Sly and Robbie. And I don't think I've ever heard of it before or after. So... I'm going to go with The Glamorous Life. It's a great song. I love playing it. I also love A Love Bazaar by Sheila E. I think A Love Bazaar is my favorite Sheila E. song. She only really has two. So 50-50 chance. It's going to be A Love Bazaar. 
Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. I almost ended the music segment without talking about <laughs> the sexy Jan Hammer music. Uh, so the the kind of one at the end that kind of sounds a little bit more Animal Crossing y is Night Talk. The one used before is Clues. I couldn't see if Clues was the same one as the sexy Melrose spooky music that they were using when they were casing the joint and taking pictures outside with the girl in rollerblades. I will get back to you on that. I will do a little bit further digging because I would love to have that on like sexy bath time playlist. And guest stars. So my favorite guest stars, obviously going to be Nancy Vallon, who I've already mentioned from her guest spot on Save with the Bell as the hot nurse. Isa Morales was on NYPD Blue, along with fellow Miami Vice alumni. You guessed it, Jimmy Smith. My parents loved and watched NYPD Blue. I remember I'd pop in as a kid and, you know, like they kind of try to shoot me out of the room. I did try to see the episode where Dennis Franz showed his butt. That was obviously like a very big, I don't know how I heard about that in school. I'm sure I read in some newspaper or something, but, and I remember when I became, always right after September 11th. So I was in grade eight, Zach Morris, Mark Paul Gosselaar joined the cast of NYPD Blue. So I started watching with my parents. And so I kind of missed out on some of the other guest stars that we know from Miami Vice, Hill Street Blues, kind of like a whole little multiverse we got there. We got Hill Street Blues, Miami Vice, Crime Story, NYPD Blue. Love it. And David Patrick Kelly, who, like I said, I know him from The Warriors. Warriors come out to play with the bottles in his hand. He's the leader of the rogues who basically set up the Warriors. I'm not spoiling anything. You should all watch The Warriors. That is homework for the week is watch The Warriors. And I was like, I don't know what else he's been in, but his voice is so iconic. He should do. And he seems to have done lots of voiceover work. But he was also in Twin Peaks. How cool is that? That is when I got to rewatch because there's going to be so many guest stars that I'm going to recognize not only from Miami Vice, but just in general. So that's going to be my homework this week. I never did end up watching Miami Vice the movie because I already think it's garbage. (laughs) I was so mad. I paid $4 for it during lockdown because I was so bored. Watched it again. Still couldn't appreciate it. So... I'm just not going to try. Maybe I'll watch it if I just need something on in the background while I'm doing, you know, some other kind of work. And that's the episode. One last category. I'm going to try to stick to it every time. Quote of the episode to lead you off into the sunset as we wrap up another episode of Vice and Easy, the podcast. As always, you can find me everywhere social at Vice and Easy podcast. You can watch on YouTube. You can listen on YouTube. Close captions if you need it. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and rate me five stars if possible. And if you have anything bad to say, please don't say it. I do not have the skin thick enough to handle that. But let me leave you with these lovely parting words. And as always, I will see you next week, every Friday, so we can relive every moment of Miami Vice together. Primitive but effective. Thanks again for listening to Vice and Easy Podcast. And as always... Hey man, Miami Wise is number one new show.